0: Dear Fathers, we come before you today, we just pray that you'll help us with this uh, quite deep and complicated topic of uh, supernatural healing. We pray that truly you will open our hearts to your instruction, to your Holy Spirit guiding us, and that I'll be faithful as I open your word and uh, preach it. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now today I want to talk about uh, the topic of healing, uh, the topic of uh, supernatural healing. Uh, miraculous healing. Now last week we talked about uh, the prosperity gospel and I think the method that we apply for all sorts of teaching and practices is to use the Bible, God's word, to weigh and to test and to examine every topic and every situation. And I think that that's because we believe that the Bible is God's word and uh, everything must be weighed up by it. So we're going to have lots of slides today, okay today is a record number of slides, right? So uh, you've got to bear with me. So. It says very clearly that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So because Scripture is God-breathed, it comes from God, it must be the measure by which we examine everything. Every vision, prophecy, instruction, pastor or practice must sit under the Bible and God's word. So last week we said that the Bible says very clearly. Uh, again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we are not to put out the Spirit's fire, we're not to treat prophecies with contempt, but to test everything and hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. In Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were admired because they received the message with great eagerness, but they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. Now I think that's the method that we must apply to everything, including myself as I Stand here and preach to you. We must measure everything by God's word because it is God breathed and it's the test for every doctrine and every practice. Now, last week we talked on the prosperity gospel, and today we're going to look at the, the uh, I guess, the phenomena of supernatural healing. But I think today the, the tone that I want to take is a very different tone. Uh, I think this topic of healing must be spoken of with a great deal of of sensitivity, of uh, compassion and grace. Because I'm sure that there are many of us here today who may be familiar with uh, suffering because of illness, or we may have loved ones who are suffering from illness, or maybe we've recently attended funerals or wakes. So here, as we talk on this topic of supernatural healing, I don't want to sort of just uh, talk on it as if it's an intellectual issue, but it's a very heartfelt issue for many people. And if there are things that you're not clear about, then I'd like to encourage you to come and speak to me afterwards if I haven't covered it with sufficient detail or clarity when I preach today. Now last week uh, we looked at um, the prosperity gospel and it it links I think very much with the first thing. If you follow the outline, the outline is very important. Get the outline, everybody's got an outline. Follow the outline in front of you because it's very important. You'll need to follow it as we go along because we don't really have a Bible text today to show you where we're going. Use the outline, you need the outline today to follow where I'm going and to take notes because I'm going to be saying a lot of things today and a lot of slides, okay? So the first thing that uh, I guess many churches which believe in healing will say is that Christians uh, should not get sick. Christians should not get sick. So last week when we looked at the prosperity gospel, I shared from Luke chapter 14 of how I heard a pastor in one of the churches saying that we are able today, presently, right now able to eat from God's banquet table. And, that's, and the pastor was saying how, in great detail, all the items on the banquet table are available to us as Christians today. And one of the items was health, that if you come to God's banquet table, and we are all invited to come, on that table is good health. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you not to be sick. Now, some churches go even so far as to take this belief that Christians don't get sick, to say that Christians should not... Take medicine. So I remember today I'm going to be sharing lots of anecdotes of how a few years ago I was in uh, Helping Hand car park just across the road. And Helping Hand is where the the Extra Addict Center is. And I remember having a very deep conversation with a Christian brother there who very seriously, he had this great frown on his face, asked me whether Christians should get sick. And he was saying to me that the church that he was going to told him, that Christians should not get sick, and as a result, Christians should not take medicine because it is a lack of faith in God. Now, this guy, Benny Hinn, if you look up here on this slide, uh, he is one of the most uh, famous Christian healers, Benny Hinn, and uh, he wrote, "...many people declare Jesus is the Savior of my soul, but they fail to realize that the Lord is also the Savior of our physical bodies." Christ's death on the cross provided not only for our salvation, but also for our healing. It is His will that we be healed and remain healthy all the days of our lives. It is His will for us to live without sickness or disease. Now what are we to make of this teaching uh, that is increasingly, I think, uh, coming to the churches in Singapore, especially in uh, charismatic or prosperity gospel churches, that God wants to bless us, and part of that blessing is to be sickness-free, and to be healthy all the time. Well, first of all, I disagree with this. I believe that the Bible does not say that Christians shouldn't get sick. It's bad theology because Jesus, as we've sang in many of the songs today, is a great saviour. Jesus is not the great physician. Jesus came to die on the cross to bring forgiveness for our sins, to bear the consequences of our sins, not to give us good health. Jesus didn't open a hospital Jesus came to die on the cross. And the second thing is, I think the Bible is being read very incorrectly by uh, these people who say that we have, as Christians, the promise of good health all the time. You see, the prosperity gospel and, I guess, uh, this, the healing movement share the same problem in, in that they telescope the promises of the future into the present. So remember last week, uh, again, from Luke chapter 14, Uh, this prosperity gospel pastor was saying, the table, God's table is available for you now. But we saw that actually it is the future in which we are able to eat at God's heavenly banquet. So in Romans chapter 8, which is up here, it describes very clearly the present circumstance of the world and of Christians. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation, which in which we live in, and we ourselves are part of that creation, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who, wo- who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now we've been studying the book of Romans uh, in the third service. And I think Romans chapter 8 says very clearly what is our present experience as Christians living in this world. It is to groan. Right? It is to groan. And we groan because we live in a fallen world and part of that fallenness is to get sick, it is to have pain, it is to suffer illness, it is to suffer from disease. And the future glory in which we hope in is the redemption of our bodies and we wait for it perfectly, patiently, right? because we know it has not yet arrived. But many churches get this wrong because they telescope what is in the future to the present and they say, no, 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 today, we must experience perfect health. We must not get sick. But that is actually a contradiction of what God's word, the Bible says, because it says very clearly in Romans 8, we are groaning, and we will keep groaning from our sicknesses, diseases, and ill health till Jesus comes again and redeems our bodies and gives us an everlasting body in which we never get sick. Again, the Bible's evidence is quite clear. If you look at these next few slides, you see that Within the evidence of the Christian Christians within the Bible, Christians are consistently getting sick. I'm not all the time love, but they are getting sick, right? So in Acts chapter nine, which is up there, uh, in Joppa there was a disciple named uh, Tabitha, which when when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. At that time she became sick and she died. And her body was washed and placed in the upper, sorry, in the upstairs room. In Philippians chapter two, Paul writes, And I think it it is necessary to send back to you a prophetitis, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter five, Paul speaks to his apprentice, the church leader, Timothy, no longer drink only water, but take a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. In 2 Timothy 4, Erastus remained in Corinth. Trophimus, I left ill in Miletus. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul speaks of his own experience and he says, you know, that it was because of a physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. Though my dish condition put you to the test. You do not scorn or despise me, but welcome me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. See, here as we look at just a range of passages from the Bible, you see Christian men, Christian women, ordinary Christians, Christian leaders, apostles, and they're all getting sick. They all were sick, and some of them died. And that shows that actually the Christian life is not characterized by perfect health, but rather... It is characterized by the fallenness of this world. We groan with our diseases, with our sufferings, and our sicknesses. Now I said before that we wanted to, well I wanted to try to handle this topic of sensitivity and grace and apply what the Bible says to real life situations. right? And I really think that this teaching of some churches that Christians do not get sick and should not get sick is actually a cruel teaching. It is a cruel teaching. It is a cruel teaching because it is not what God says, first of all. It is actually taking God's word and misapplying it and misreading it. But more importantly, I think, instead of bringing the comfort that you should bring to people in suffering, this teaching actually makes suffering worse. Uh, In some of the books I was reading, some people who go to these churches who take literally the teaching that Christians shouldn't get sick, uh, some of them have epilepsy. And instead of taking their medicine to control their epilepsy, they, they, they go off their medicine and then they have a major fit. And, and actually there was a case where someone died. Uh, there was a Christian couple with an 11-year-old son who died of leukemia. And it was really heartbreaking and intolerable for those parents because they never believed that he should die, because after all, being a Christian means that you shouldn't get sick. See, the problem with this sort of teaching is, the sick person isn't given comfort, but instead is given suffering, and and, 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 and I guess uh, their suffering is made worse, because not only do you have the physical problem, which is your sickness, but now you have a a spiritual problem. Because, I'm a Christian now, and I'm not supposed to be sick, but but I'm sick, so I can't share that I'm sick and no one's going to comfort me because of my sickness. They're just going to think that there's something wrong with me as a Christian. See, the Christian brother in the helping hand who was talking to me was really troubled because for him, it was a real life issue of whether I can be sick as a Christian. And it was a great relief to learn that actually you can be sick as a Christian. Jesus came to bring forgiveness, not perfect health. Our future health, perfect health, I guess only comes when we are redeemed in the body and many Christians in the Bible are sick. Now the other issue, I guess, which we look at in terms of healing, is the idea of the gift of healing and healing services. I think uh, many, many churches nowadays, I I realize as I walk around Singapore, I I come out of MRTs everywhere, and I walk past churches, you see these, uh, I guess, these big banners at the front of the church saying, healing services, Saturday night or Friday night or something, come and be healed. Okay? What do we have to make of these healing services or going to some Christian healer? Now, my mother... Uh, uh some of you know, had ovarian cancer. I think I was, I was, I was uh, here in this church uh, and I shared many times she had ovarian cancer. My mother-in-law had breast cancer. Uh, my father-in-law had liver cancer. I, I might not be a very good candidate to live very long, I think. Right? In every one of these cases, I remember, there was great pressure on 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 whether my mother, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law should go to church for a healing service and to see a healer, uh, who wasn't a Christian. Uh, dragged my, my father-in-law, who also wasn't a Christian, to, to attend a healing service in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, my mother, although she was very weak from chemotherapy, uh, went to someone's house. And I remember she waited for uh, three hours and came back around midnight. And she came home exhausted and, and collapsed, and my dad was very angry that she had wasted her time or was so unwell when she came back. So I've also had many people who've suffered from serious illness come and ask me, you know, Pastor, my friend asked me to attend this healing service. Should I go? Uh, a friend of mine knows someone with a gift of healing and has offered to specifically come to lay hands on me. Should I Should I take up the offer? I remember when my mother asked me that question, uh my, my answer to her well, well, I was well, you know, it's really up to you, right? Because here was my mom who was dying, and here are all her sincere Christian friends who are taking all this trouble to organize for her to meet with some healer. You know, I didn't want to hurt her feelings and I didn't want to hurt her friends' feelings. So I just said, Well, you know, it's up to you. But today, as we look at it, <clears throat> the question is, what does the Bible tell us? Is there a place for the gift of healing or healing services? So using the Bible as a guide, let's ask ourselves, what is the gift of healing? Right, as we see in the Bible. Well, first up, uh, this is not your note, so you have to write it down. The gift of healing in the Bible seems to be immediate. Okay, That is the Bible's evidence. That is what is shown in The Bible. So Jesus, when he healed the woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her, he came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Matthew chapter 8. The man of leprosy. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his uh, leprosy. And it wasn't just Jesus. Also, uh, the the apostles could do the same thing, right? Right? And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And then Lystra, there was a man who was crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul who he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So first of all, if you look in the Bible, it seems like the gift of healing is an immediate one, right? I mean, it says you are, stand up, stop bleeding or whatever, you know, be cured of your leprosy, and immediately they're healed. Now, we've been looking at the book of John over the last few months, remember? And there were two times in which it seemed as if Jesus healed in two steps. There was a bit of a delay, right? Remember, he spat on the blind man's eyes twice, and then he healed the man who was blind, he sent him to wash in the pool. But both those times, it wasn't because there was something wrong with the healer. The healer couldn't heal quickly or heal properly, but it was more because the healer chose to do it this way. Okay, So the first thing is, the gift of healing is immediate. The second thing is, the healing seems to be done without natural means. Right? It's all about words. Just at most a short sentence. There's no laying of hands or something. You just walk, you know, get up. They stop bleeding. So the first thing is immediacy. The second is without natural means. There's no medicine involved. There's no physiotherapy. There's no hypnosis. The third thing is the healings in the Bible were all complete. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that the sick person's health improved, but they still suffered the sickness. Nowhere do we read that their handicap was reduced, but they still were not completely cured. See, remember we read the woman was bleeding for 12 years, and her bleeding stopped. It wasn't as if she bled less, right? The the cripple is not sort of limping around, he's jumping and running. The blind man doesn't see dimly with with the need of glasses, he sees clearly. The person with the fever is no longer weak, but gets back to work. And this is very important because when the healing is complete medically there's no relapse that means the underlying medical condition is addressed not just the symptoms and everything is completely hundred percent healed so matthew chapter 12 all right remember when jesus healed the man okay next slide with the with the withered hand okay he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. Now this is really significant because if a doctor were to tell you if someone's hand is withered and unused, as you can see here, there's nerve damage, right? There's muscle weakness. Right? You know, you've got no strength anymore because you haven't used that hand for years. There's a, a lack of flexibility, right? But, but here, if it's as strong as the other, there's movement, smoothness of joint motion, there's muscle bulk, everything is restored. So that's the third thing, right? That the healings in the Bible are complete. The fourth thing is the healings were 100% successful. We never read that the person failed to heal. So again, in Matthew 8, Matthew 9, and Acts 5, the phrase here is that every disease, all the people were all healed. The fifth thing is, in the, when you look in the Bible and this is a very important one and this is something that we need to pay attention to because we're going to come back to it later, is that the healings dealt with organic diseases. Now I'm not a doctor, but my parents are doctors, but I have to read out a bit on this. But apparently, there are differences between organic diseases and neurotic diseases. Okay? Now if you ask my wife, I have a lot of neurotic diseases. Okay. Okay, I have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, right? So if I get stressed, or, I, or you know, there's a lot of tension in my life, my, I get upset stomach, right? Pain, diarrhea, all that sort of stuff, gas. You know, I remember when I was younger, I went to the hospital, and yeah, I thought I was having a heart attack, but actually I wasn't, I was just anxiety, right? Some people have skin conditions, some people get migraine, headaches, some people get pain in their joints, for, for the various reasons, right? But many of it originated because of the mind. But organic diseases, apparently according to doctors, is very different. They they are visible and they can be proven by medical tests. So you have a you have a slip disc. You go for X ray, you can see it on the X ray. You have cancer, you can see the tumor growing. You have a blood test, you can see the the tumor markers going up. You have a disease, dengue fever. You get the blood test, you can see all the dengue there, right? You have a broken bone. You, you have an MRI or X ray, you can see it. you. You have a birth defect, you can't, you're blind or you're deaf. These are all organic diseases. But if you look in the Bible, the people of gift of healing cured not just neurotic diseases, but organic diseases. The woman was bleeding. There was real blood there. People cannot walk for years. They are born blind, they're born deaf. But yet, all these things were healed. And last of all, if you look in the Bible, in terms of the gift of healing, the gift of healing was undeniable. Even the skeptic, even the opponent cannot refute that a healing happened. So let's pay attention. These, These verses are very important, right? So the next slide. In Mark 7, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. See, Jesus didn't go around writing a book about how he heal people. He wanted people not to talk about his healing, but yet the healing was so undeniable and amazing that people went around telling everybody else. It's like they were on their Twitter or their Instagram, you know, taking photographs of all the things that he healed. In Luke chapter 7, they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people and the news of Jesus spread throughout Judea and the whole surrounding country. In John eleven, we just studied this a few weeks ago. The Pharisees who were wanting to silence Jesus says. They said, What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, the Pharisees wanted to to silence Jesus, but even they couldn't deny that he did many miracles. And again, the apostles in Acts chapter 4, right? When Peter and John healed, when the Pharisees saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together what are we going to do with these men? They ask, everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. So, if you go to the next slide, so, if you look at the Bible, the gift of healing has very clear elements. It's immediate, without natural means, usually with a word, it's complete, there's no relapse, right? Once you're healed, you're healed. There's a 100% success rate. It deals with organic diseases, not just neurotic diseases, and it is undeniable. If a person with these characteristics of gift of healing would come to Singapore today, in our present world, it would be equivalent to someone walking to say KK Hospital, or NUH, or SGH, and going from floor to floor to floor, right, the first floor, and then they take a lift to the second floor, and then a lift to the third floor, and as they went past every room, in every disease section, people will be healed. So, you know, on the first floor, all the cancer patients would start streaming out. And then the second floor, the heart patients would stream out. And then they go to ICU, all the people would come out. All the people with dengue fever, all the people with broken bones, all the accident victims, all the kidney failure victims, the whole hospital would be emptied. Because that's the type of healing that we see in the Bible. And it wouldn't be something that would just be confined to Singapore, the whole world would know about it. Because it would be so phenomenal. But the problem is, is the gift of healing that we see in churches today uh, even close to what we see in the Bible? Definitely not, right? In my own experience, uh, well, my mom had waited three hours from this very gifted healer, apparently who came from Africa somewhere, she died of cancer very soon after. My father-in-law, who went to the healing service, also died of cancer. So anecdotally, from my own experience, I haven't seen it happen. But um, there was this guy who wrote this book and he did some research. So he went to this book. You can buy it actually. I, I bought this book a long time ago for my previous church. It's called The International Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements. You can buy it at the bookshop. Okay, it's a really super duper thick book. It's the thickest book you've ever seen in your whole life. Okay. Anyway, so this guy went into the book and he he read up on the the four well most well known healers of the last century. Now some of the names might not be very familiar to us, but these people are recognized as the foremost healers or the ones with the gift, gift of healings in the last century. Okay, within the charismatic. And uh, uh, I guess, uh, Pentecostal movement. So, the first uh, two is this person called uh, Catherine Kuhlman. And uh, she was the one who started the phenomenon that we understand today as being slain in the spirit. Right? So, you know, you understand a lot of charismatic churches, they have this idea of slain in the spirit. So, if you read out the book, she is the one who, who's, I guess, uh, credited for starting that phenomenon of being slain in the spirit. And she had a huge healing ministry. Okay, she had a 7,000-seater church. The next guy is this guy called Oral Roberts. Again, he's America's premier healing evangelist. I'm sure the next, next one many of you would have heard of, John Wimber. Have you heard of John Wimber? He, he's very prominent in this thing called the signs and wonders ministry. I'm, I'm, I mean, if you haven't heard of him, you can look him up. He's very, very prominent. And this guy called Benny Hinn. He's, uh, apparently his TV shows are the most watched Christian TV shows in the whole world. Okay, his, uh, his ministry apparently reaches out to like 60 million homes on his uh, TV networks. Now, a few people, uh, according to this book, have researched their healings, and these were not opponents, okay, these were not atheists, these were not skeptics, these were Christians who investigated their, their, their healings, and this is what they came up with. So there's this guy called Wayne Warner. Okay, here, this guy. And he, he's not some uh, guy off the street, right? Wayne Warner is actually the director of the Assemblies of God archives. He's the editor of the uh, denomination magazine, which is called Heritage. So he is somebody, okay, within the uh, Assembly of God movement. And he actually was, did a lot of research, and this was his conclusion uh, of the Catherine Kuhlman uh, healings. He said, a lot of prayer was offered, a lot of people believed, a lot of people overcome by the Spirit, but very few were healed. Okay, then there's another guy, next slide, He. Uh, this guy's a very distinguished surgeon apparently, he wrote this book which many people uh, uh, used to use to decide whether to do medicine or not, his name was Dr. William Nolan, and he what he did was he uh, actually asked uh, uh, one of the healing people after the healing services, okay, send me all the people who were healed in your healing service and I will follow them up, uh, not just immediately, but long term and see whether they were really cured. So 23 people were sent to him, uh, for, apparently claimed to be cured, and he followed them up at that moment in time and even long term and found that none of them had actually been cured. Okay, uh, okay, next one. We'll use this, save this to the next part. Okay, so next one, keep going. Next one. So this other guy too, uh, apparently the Christian Medical Fellowship in England, uh, sent a team of 11 doctors to examine the results of, uh, a whole series of healing services. And their findings in a report you can find it on the internet was that the faith healings are only effective for neurotic conditions and organic diseases. And another guy, last guy, He wrote this guy, he's actually a supporter of healing miracles, but he said, intellectual honesty requires us to acknowledge that our experience today, by any definition that is acceptable, is that only a small percentage of those for whom physical healing is sought from God through gifted healers obtain it. Okay, so, again, next slide. Even uh, the people themselves have said that, uh, Oral Roberts said that he had tried to heal but it failed many times. And uh, he said that much of the healing he did was psychiatric or psychosomatic. Uh, John Wimber, next one. In a discussion of church leaders in Australia, said that his his blindness success rate was 3-8%, to 8%, depending on the cause. And he prayed over 200 people, children with Down syndrome, and only one revealed any sign of healing. And again, Benny Hinn, the last one. Uh, out of the millions who he apparently ministered, could only come up with about ten people who he said were cured. And, and last all, all, uh, this guy Oral Roberts, right? So, if you look at him, uh, what what is it about him which shows that there might be a problem with the the the, the gifts of healing? Yeah, he's wearing glasses, right? Right. So so I remember. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who is one of the most significant pastors and theologians in America in the last two centuries, he said uh, he, he's unconvinced about the gift of healing because so many people who are healers are wearing glasses. and He says that how can you have the gift of healing when you can't solve such a basic problem? right? So if you actually look at the next slide, oh, don't worry about the this is just a cartoon I found, right? <laughs> okay, so next slide. So, eh? so if you actually look at the, the evidence, I mean, to be fair, right, to be sensitive and to be fair, I think you can see there's a huge difference between what the the Bible is saying about the gift of healing and the real experiences of people who are attending these healing services. And you know, it's very, very important to notice this is based on four of the, I guess, the most well-known and I guess celebrated healers in the last century. These are not people who are like, you know, off the street and then they just go and do their own healing in a small church. This is like people with Multi-million-dollar ministries, but yet their rate is so low. So I think in terms of application, I myself uh, went to a church uh, recently, not too far from here actually, just visiting, <laughs> and there was a bit of a healing going on. And I remember now about how uh, during the service they were saying, you know, if you if you have some pain somewhere or you have some illness, you have to put your hand over your that part of 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 of, of the body and, and rub it and then pray and then the, the guy was going to give you healing. And remember as I walked through that church, there was this testimony of this woman who was, who was giving a testimony of how effective the healing was at that church because now she could walk to church because her knee pain had lessened and it was very bad before. But you see, I think part of the problem is that are you really solving the, the, the real problem or is it just mentally dealing with The effects of it. So if I know, let's say my my chest hurts, right, and I start rubbing it, and and I feel a bit better, the pain is not there. If if it's just a mental thing and it's symptomatic, then maybe I just feel a bit better, but I'm still going to have a heart attack, right? Or if I'm if my knee hurts, and and I'm walking to church, but I I have the gift of healing, but the pain is only lessened. Has it really solved my knee problem, or is it just lessened the pain? I think one of the great problems is that if you go to healing services, you you, you may be, I guess, solving the, the neurotic or the mental issues and, and alleviating the pain. But you may not actually be solving the illness. And and, the, and one of the things that uh, we read earlier on was that there are many anecdotal stories of how, like uh, that the William guy, the Dr. William Nolan, he did some research of how this woman... Actually we went to a healing service, and because you're so caught up, if you actually go to a healing service, it's very, very rowdy, very inspirational, like you know, people getting slain by the spirit, all that sort of stuff. Right? Actually, it's, actually, it's quite disturbing to me, la Right? But you really, if you get caught, allow yourself to get caught up in all this thing, you 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 feel no pain, maybe. Any of this woman in the wheelchair, she got up from the wheelchair and started running on the stage, and uh, the doctor actually examined her later, and she had uh, really damaged her back because she she was ignoring the pain uh, the the problem was still there. she still had all these physical problems, but because of the lack of pain she she did things which she thought well i'm cured now, but she she wasn't cured at all and when people go to some of these healing services and they stop taking their medicine, then you know it means that the condition actually gets worse and sometimes if you go to these things and you have an organic problem then you don't actually get healed. It's a great, great disappointment. So I just want you to go back to the earlier one, which I skipped, uh, Chong. The one that, by, by the Nolan guy. And go back some more. Some more, some more, some more. All the way back. Some more, some more. Ah, next one. This one. Number 20. Ah, nope. Ah, this one. So, he was very honest. This guy is quite an honest guy, actually. I was, some of the things that he writes were very balanced. He's a Christian guy, I think. And uh, he was trying to be as open to it as possible. But this is what he wrote. He said, on one hand, I felt that Catherine Coleman was a sincere, uh, devout, and dedicated woman who believed fervently that she was doing the Lord's will. I did not want to hurt her. On the other hand, I was not sure that whatever good Miss Coleman was doing was not far outweighed by the pain she was causing. I could not get those crippled, mentally handicapped children and those weeping, broken-hearted parents out of my mind. And all the others cruelly disappointed. I know of a, a friend of mine who went to a healing service for some problem and uh, they so despaired after the healing service that they locked themselves in the toilet of the, of the church because they didn't want to come out and, and the friends were banging away asking them to come out. Because if you go there and you really expect uh, to be healed and you're not healed, it is really, really something that can uh, break your heart, I think. So anyway, as we move on to the third point, and the last point, is that if healing services and the gift of healing seem so different today to the to what we read in the Bible, then the question is, why do we do it? Why do we have healing services? Why do people profess to have the gift of healing? And I remember when I was working in a, as an accountant before, I had a friend of mine who came from a very charismatic church, and he kept asking me all the time to go to this Healing services, and the problem was that uh, at that time I, I wasn't sick. Maybe I was much younger then. And I was like, "Why am I going? I got nothing wrong. With me. I don't feel any pain. I'm not sick." He said, "Oh, you know, you must you must have healing services. In fact, you should have it in your own church, right? Maybe you have the gift of healing." And uh, and the reason was because he believed that healing services uh, gave power to evangelism. He said, "You know what? You need to do is you need to invite people for healing." And then they will believe in Jesus. And really, I think that that is part of the mindset of why many churches go for healing services and seek to have the gift of healing. Now, if you look up here on the slide, right, um, it really shows how people believe it's not enough to preach the kingdom of God. They want to show a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And, and how better to show a demonstration of the kingdom of God than to heal someone. All right, that's what that's that's the whole thinking behind healing services. We want to show people the power of God so that they will believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the passages which they use, okay, next slide, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a very important passage because this is the key passage by which uh charismatics or Pentecostal churches or other churches will say, why you need to display the gift of healing and of healing services at church. Now here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul talks about the many gifts that uh or the many manifestations of the spirit which are shown in the in the Corinthian church. And one of them if you see very clearly apart from the gifts of tongues and things like that is the gift of healing, right? It's the gift of healing. Okay? So they'll say, well, because that's there, We must have healing services, and we must practice it, this gift. But again, I think it's very important how we read the Bible, right? Reading the Bible is very, very important, and reading it well is is even more important. See, the problem is this is a descriptive passage. Paul was saying as a description the manifestations of the Spirit in his day. And we know for sure the apostles, Paul, Peter, Peter, And even the next generation, Stephen and all that, they displayed gifts of healing. But you notice this passage is not a prescriptive passage. There's a difference between something being described and something being instructed or prescribed. So just because the people then had the gift of healing, people like Paul, Peter, the apostles, the next generation, doesn't mean that necessarily all of us must have this gift today. And that's why it's called a gift. And doesn't mean that we must practice it in this way. In fact, what is really interesting is in the Bible, there is no passage which actually tells us of an ordinary Christian having a gift of healing. Neither does the Bible tell us how we are to use the gift of healing, and there's definitely nothing about how healing services are to be run. In fact, what is really interesting is this was written to the church in Corinth, right? The church in Corinth had supposedly people with the gift of healing. But if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, next slide, when Paul went to Corinth, he didn't have healing services. He didn't, he didn't incorporate people and say, oh, you guys got the gift of healing. Come, let's have a healing service so that we can preach the gospel. Instead, he went to, to preach Christ crucified. And that's all he did, right? He didn't want to show miraculous signs. He didn't look for, he just wanted to preach Christ crucified. In Acts chapter 18, which acts as a, is like a, 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 a account of uh, what the apostles are doing. When Paul went to Corinth after he left Athens, what did he do? Well, what he did was he went to the synagogues and he persuaded Jews and Greeks about the gospel. He didn't have a healing service. And again, in 2 Timothy chapter four, right, the the prescription or the instruction for the early church was to preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction." See ultimately, the desire to have a healing service or to look for the gift of healing, I think, is actually a demonstration of the failure to trust God's Word. When we don't believe that God's Word has the power to convict, then we want to rely more and more on these so-called supernatural displays of power. But in my own experience, healing services do not work. They do more harm than good. When my father-in-law was not, who was not a Christian, went to the healing service and was not healed, what did that say of Jesus Christ? See, when I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed of your cancer, and you're not healed of your cancer, then what is it saying about Jesus? And the reality is, as we've seen, almost 99% of people will not be healed. So those 99% of people, what is the impression of Jesus? That Jesus is not real, that Jesus has no power, that Jesus cannot do anything, that Jesus cannot keep his promises. In fact, my father-in-law later became a Christian, not because of the healing service, but in spite of the healing service. The healing service was a stumbling block to his faith. It was only because we explained the Bible to him, explained what Jesus did to him that he became a Christian, not because of the healing service. No, ultimately, the healing only lasts a few years, right? But Jesus preaches a forgiveness which lasts for eternity. The healing is good. But if the healing causes you to miss out on Jesus, then you've missed out on what is the best. You've exchanged the best for the good. I think I've told you before of uh, my uncle in Switzerland, who was diagnosed with advanced throat cancer. The doctor in Switzerland gave him less than one year to live. And uh, we prayed for him. Many people prayed for him. I think people at our church prayed for him too. And today, miraculously, even his doctor in Switzerland said, miraculously, he's still alive and he is symptom-free. He is cured, but he's not saved. Right? He might think Jesus might have saved him, or sorry, cured him of his throat cancer, but he's not a believer in Jesus. So he's cured, but he's not saved. In fact, the healing... Was a distraction, right? Because the answer really is salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to the end of the sermon, sorry it's a bit longer today, but I have to cover so many things, right? I was thinking about to leave out, but it's just so many important things I need to say. If you look at, there's only one passage in the whole Bible which speaks of what we should do in terms of healing. And that was a Bible passage which was read to us earlier today, which was James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, right? So if you could open your Bibles out to that, that would be really helpful. Now you notice here it says in verse um, 14, is any of you, uh, any among you sick? Go to someone who's gifted in healing and have them to heal you at the healing service. No, it doesn't say that, right? In verse 14 it says, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the person well, the Lord will raise them up. This is the only passage in the whole of the New Testament which talks about healing and what the ordinary Christian person should do. You notice here there's no idea of the sick person finding someone with the gift of healing. There is no instruction here to go to a healing service. All it says is, find someone an elder, someone who is a faithful Christian, to pray over you. There's no laying of hands. You know, the problem with laying of hands is significant, right? Because when I lay my hands on you, I'm saying, because of my gift of power, of of the power that was given to me to, to heal you, I give you that power to be healed. But there's no laying of hands here, there's just prayer. There's just prayer. Because... It is not the person who is empowered to he- effect the healing, but rather it is God who heals. Now, as we read this passage, some must, might be a bit disturbed, right? Is this a promise here, that if the elder prays for you, that the sick person will always get well? Well, not really, right? Because in the previous chapter, it says in James chapter 4, verse 13, right? Uh, that uh, if you look up here, everything we do, we might do, say if it is in the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that, right? So if it is the Lord's will, if he prays for someone and they get well, so be it. Now as I prepare for this uh, sermon, I realize I do not believe, and in, in fact, I'm more and more convinced that uh, the gift of healing is not really manifested today as we understand it. I don't believe in healing services, but I do believe in the power of prayer. I do believe that we should pray for those who are sick. And if we pray, I have seen, uh I guess, supernatural healing. A miraculous healing. Now, I'm not this is definitely not a promise, right? That God makes. But it's something that I've witnessed. So I've told you about my uncle with the throat cancer. I mean, even my unbelieving relatives say that's a miracle. I know of a pastor. I think some of you know him, Boon Yong and Lydia. They've preached in our church before. Uh, Boon Yong's wife, Lydia, was, was, uh, was seen by a few gynecologists. And they all said that she would never have children again. Because she had a gynecological problem which was organic, right? You, you, it's not in the mind, right? If you can't get pregnant, it's, it's, it's some real thing there, right? She really couldn't conceive and we prayed for her and today they have two children, right? I mean, that's a miracle. But he didn't go and bring his wife to some person who was uh, supernaturally gifted in healing. Nobody laid hands on her. We prayed for her and she got better. But I want you to notice something very important, isn't it? Uh, in, in James chapter 5, verse 13 to, to 20. There's really only one verse here which talks about praying for the person who's sick. But the rest of the whole section of from 13 to 20 is all about forgiveness. All right, you notice that it's all about forgiveness. Therefore, confess, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain. The earth produces crop. Therefore pray and get healed. No, it doesn't say that, right? My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. See, 13 to 20, one verse talks of healing and the rest of the verses talk about forgiveness and salvation from death. See, ultimately, our greatest need is not healing. Our greatest need is salvation and forgiveness. In conclusion, I want to bring you back, if you can remember, to the responsive reading. Remember the responsive reading we read today about Jesus healing the paralytic? Now, remember, right, when Jesus was confronted with the man who was paralyzed. Okay, this is what he was really like, right? He couldn't move. That's what it means to be paralyzed. They had to enter by the roof, and four people had to lower him down because the guy was literally paralyzed. All right. so next slide. Okay, so this is what he was like. Now, think of someone in our modern world today who is a very famous paralyzed person. Probably not Stephen Hawking, but someone else. Okay, like Christopher Reeve. Okay, next person. okay. Next slide. Now, Christopher Reeve was paralyzed and unfortunately he's dead now, right? All his life, Christopher Reeve sought to be healed. Right? He spent millions of dollars, he went for the latest treatments, everything. I remember reading an interview with him on Time magazine, but in the end he died. Now, if Christopher Reeve was brought back 2,000 years and he was lowered down the ceiling, What did he want from Jesus? What would he want from Jesus? He would want to walk again, right? He would want to be healed. But notice what Jesus did when we did the responsive reading. He said, your sins are forgiven. I mean, Christopher Reeve spent his whole life and every cent he had to walk again. But Jesus would say to Christopher Reeve, your sins are forgiven. And the reason is because the forgiveness of sins, salvation and eternal life, these things are more important than healing. See, I, I was reading this book by this guy called David McDonald. We gave that book out earlier before, right, about how he suffered from cancer. And he gave a very good point. he said, you know, in a sense, we all have this terminal illness and that terminal illness is called life. We all have to die. So yes, let's pray. Let's pray for healing. But our real hope and our real prayer is for salvation in Jesus Christ. I remember Nick was wearing this t-shirt, some Christian Union t-shirt, which had a really interesting uh, question in the front. It says, killer question. What are your plans in 100 years time? Right? Of course, in 100 years, you'll be dead, right? But what are your plans after that? well, your plans must be there is a hope beyond healing, right? There is a hope beyond cure. If you believe in Jesus Christ, in the forgiveness that He brings on the cross, then you will have the redemption of body and eternal life. So I think that as we come to the end of this section, I think there isn't much hope in the gift of healing or healing services, but there is hope in prayer. But our focus is not just on the prayer of healing, but let's really focus on the thing that really lasts to eternity. Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the redemption of our bodies. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask that you may help us to read your word with great integrity, with great insight, and to see that truly we are to hold on to the hope of forgiveness of salvation and eternal life. You teach us in Your Word to pray for one another when we are sick. Help us to see that that alone is enough. Your Word doesn't tell us to have healing services or to practice the gift of healing. So dear Father, help us to, to, to really rely on prayer instead. Help us to see that each and every one of us here, faithful Christians, will be sick we live in a world which is groaning under the power of sin and is working its way to judgment and condemnation. Help us to see that we must continue to wait patiently for the redemption of our bodies. Help us not to be deceived by the false promises of gifts of healing that are out there. To be disappointed or to, be, to have our faith shaken when they do not. Succeed. But to keep looking at the cross of Jesus and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.